I pulled into a, a gas station recently and my son was in the back seat and he said, Dad, why do we have to get the gas? This is going to take forever. Forever, he says. It's gonna, I said, buddy, it's not going to take forever. We're just, it'll take five minutes. I've got to get some gas. It's hard to wait when you're a kid, isn't it? Even for things that are, are short-lived. As a kid, I remember uh, my mom leaving my brothers and I in the car while she ran into a department store to make a return. And she said, I'll be right back. Going to make a return. I'll be right back. Stay in the car. So we stayed in the car. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. It it really was forever. It felt that way. Um, Then we saw an ambulance pull up in front of the store and load someone into the back of the ambulance that looked a lot like our mother. This was scary, but my mom was fine. She, she has epilepsy, and she had a seizure while she was in the store. That was not the plan that day. The plan was for her to go in quickly and to come back quickly, to return that item and come right back. Things don't always go according to plan. Growing up as a Red Sox fan in the 80s and 90s, Hope was all we had. Going without a World Series title since 1918, there was always next year. And it seemed like forever. In government, politicians are always full of promises, aren't they? Last week, the president issued an executive order, get this, designed to make government more efficient and more streamlined, more user-friendly. I think we've heard this before, haven't we? Many of us, we hear this and we think to ourselves, I'll believe it when I see it. Why is it that we're so skeptical? It's because politicians have made so many broken promises that they almost don't mean anything anymore. If your hope rests in government, then you wait. You hope for that next election cycle to bring real change. And the cycle goes on and on. Well, God has made certain promises to his people. And as followers of Jesus, it's easy to look around sometimes at our circumstances and to wonder to ourselves, what on earth is God doing? Killer tornadoes just weeks before Christmas, destroying families. A new mask mandate, a virus that just won't go away, a cancer diagnosis, a sharply divided society. We look around, what on earth is God doing? We're in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. We're looking at the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew's going to answer this question by stepping back and looking at how God has painted on the canvas over 2,000 years of history. My hope for us all this morning is for you to know that if you're one of God's children, he paints on the smaller canvases of our lives in similar ways. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew 1. We're going to read 1 through 17. And if you are able, please stand with me out of respect for God's word and 
and follow along with me as I read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, there's a lot of names here that we may not be familiar with. It can seem as though we're drinking in history from a fire hose. Father, we pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and that he would cause us to treasure Christ in your word all the more this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Your head might be spinning after reading all those funny names. I was glad just to get through it without messing up any of the pronunciations. It's understandable if you're a little confused, but hang in there. Matthew, he's cramming 42 generations, almost 2,000 years of history into just 16 verses. 
So it's okay if your head's spinning a little bit. I want to help you to see how a first century Jew would have understood this and then to highlight the message of hope that is here for all of us this morning. I have three points, and they're really three lenses through which we're going to look at this genealogy. And the lenses are this, the hopes, the fears, and the plan of God. The hopes, the fears, and the plan of God. So first, the hopes. In the Old Testament, God made some incredible promises to his people. Remember with me back to Genesis 3 when God promised the ultimate defeat that would come at the heel of the offspring of Eve to deliver that fatal blow to Satan. And so, with each new baby boy born in Eve's line, there was a degree of hope associated with him. Could this be the one? Could this be the one to fulfill God's promise? God promised land to his people. He promised to make them a blessing that would be for all the nations and that this blessing would come through the seed of Abraham, someone in Abraham's family line. And so... As you look at the genealogy here, with every new name born in Abraham's line, hopeful hearts would wonder, could this be the one? Could this be the year? And so as you look over the list of names, think to yourselves as a first century Jew, could this be the one? Later, God made a promise to King David that someone from his family would sit on a throne of an unending kingdom. What a promise. And again, with each new baby in the line of Abraham and in the line of King David, could this be the one? Waiting and waiting, could this be the one? So as you look at this long history of promise and hope and waiting. If you belong to Jesus, you've been given promises on the other side of Christmas that you hope for too, that we hope for. Jesus promised that he would return to punish wickedness and to reward righteousness. You turn on the news at night and you see all this wickedness in our world, and you're thinking to yourself, how long, O Lord, how long until you come again and you punish wickedness and you reward righteousness? How long? He promised to usher in his forever kingdom in its absolute fullness. We pray as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We pray for his kingdom to come in its fullness. He promised that we would be with him forever. He promised to give us new, glorified bodies that would never know sickness or death ever again. Amen. Come, Lord, quickly for that day. 
We long. And with each passing day, with each passing season, with each passing year and decade, we hope and we wonder, could this be the day? Could this be the day? So that's one way to look at this genealogy is to look at it through that lens of hope, all the hope and the waiting for all those years. But there's another lens through which we can look at this, the fears. We look back over this genealogy now through that lens, and, you know, I I think back to uh, Super Bowl 42. It was a season of great promise for my New England Patriots, undefeated, and playing in the Super Bowl with hopes of capping off a perfect season. And with about a minute to go in the game, the Giants, you know this, were down 14-10 and facing third and five from their own 44. And Eli Manning was being swarmed by the Patriots' pass rush. But somehow, I don't know, I, he manages to escape and hurl that ball down the field to David Tyree for a 32-yard completion. And with Rodney Harrison all over him, he goes to the ground, pins that ball to his helmet with his hand and falls to the ground and somehow manages to retain possession. Just a few plays later, Plesko Burris catches the game-winning touchdown to break the hearts of a hopeful Patriot nation. Yeah. <laughs> After you know, looking at this genealogy through the lens of failure, uh, there's, there's many stories of failure here. There's great hope and there's great failure. After Abraham, Jacob was a deceiver who swindled his brother out of his inheritance. There's character issues here. And in verse 3, we read that Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar in a story that's not fit for going into detail with children in the room. You can read about that on your own. Genesis 38 is where you'll find that. After God promised land and blessing through Abraham, they would eventually find themselves as slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years years. And you'd have to imagine that a couple hundred years into their slavery, as their burdens become heavier, that some of God's people had to be looking around and asking themselves, what on earth is God doing? What is he doing? And then after God delivers them from slavery, bringing them through the parted Red Sea in a miraculous, spectacular fashion, they're thinking, this is it. This is the day. But no. The people rebel and they're punished to wander the desert for 40 years, for a generation. And then after finally entering the land comes the period of judges where Israel repeatedly forgets their God and is given over into the hands of their enemies time and time again. It's a cycle that you see in the book of Judges. And finally David takes the throne 
after the miserable failure of Israel's first king, Saul. And God promises David that one of his descendants will sit on the throne of an eternal kingdom. But even David could not escape some failure. We're reminded here in verse 6 that David fathered Solomon by the wife of another man. And after David, the kings go from bad to worse with only a few bright spots. His son's heart, Solomon, would be led astray by his many wives to worship other gods. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would lose 10 of the 12 tribes when the kingdom divided in civil war. King Ahaz and Manasseh were so deplorable that they sacrificed their own sons in worship to false gods. And eventually things would get so bad that God gave them into the hands of the Babylonians who burned Jerusalem to the ground and their temple along with it. And they carried God's people into exile away from the land. And I can imagine an Israelite being led into Babylon in captivity with the smoke of a burning Jerusalem rising in the background and wondering to themselves, what on earth is God doing? What is he doing? And things were never the same after God's people returned from exile. And eventually they would go 400 years without a single word from a prophet. This genealogy is littered with stories of failure. What's your story? What failures have you experienced? Maybe you've been let down or disappointed or have experienced broken promises or hurt from others. Maybe you had a father or mother who failed you. Maybe you failed your own kids. Maybe you're a failed spouse or live with one. Maybe your career has just never taken off. And it's been letdowns after letdowns after setbacks. And we have students here. Maybe you've bombed a big test. And you've wondered, oh, I studied so hard for that. How could that happen? Or maybe you didn't make the team. Or you got cut from the team. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend. Or that person you really like doesn't feel the same way. And you're asking yourself, as you look around at your circumstances, what on earth is God doing? Let's answer that question. This is our third and final point this morning. What, what God is doing. So we've looked at this genealogy now through two different lenses, the lenses of hope and the lenses of fear. And in this last point, we're going to look through this one final lens and identify some of the principles of, of the plan of God to encourage you and to give you hope in the midst of whatever circumstances you find yourself in today. First, notice that Matthew groups this genealogy into three groups of 14. And he emphasizes this by mentioning the number 14 
three times in verse 17. So we should wonder, what is up with the number 14? Why the repeated mention of it three times? We also notice from other places in the Scriptures that there are more than 42 generations between Abraham and Jesus. So Matthew has purposefully abbreviated this genealogy on purpose to send a message. What is it? Numbers are fascinating things in the Bible, and they're very meaningful to God's people. Numbers are, have significance for us, too. Numbers mean things. As someone who grew up in New England today, when I think of the NBA and the number 33, I think of Larry Bird. Or the number 23 and Michael Jordan. I loved watching him play as a kid. Or in the NFL, number 12, of course, Tom Brady. Or the number 9 in the MLB, Ted Williams. Here's one for you Yankee fans. I didn't forget you. The number 7. Come on. There we go. Mickey Mantle, right? Or if you're into movies, the number 007. It means something to you. Now, to a Hebrew who loved numbers, 14 was a significant number because it was the king's number. It was King David. King David's number. In the Hebrew language, there are, there's a numeric equivalent for each letter, and the numeric equivalent for the three consonants in David's name, DVD, is 464, which adds up to the number 14. And so for Matthew's original Hebrew audience, they would have likely heard David, David, David as the background music playing behind this genealogy. And all this to add further emphasis to Jesus as the long-awaited Davidic king that God had promised Secondly, notice that this genealogy, unlike the other one that we find in Luke's gospel, starts with Abraham and it moves forwards to Jesus, not backwards. I think this is significant to show us that all along, through the ups and the downs, through the victories, through the failures, through the hopes and the fears, that God's plan was always moving forward. It was always moving forward. The message of this genealogy is that from beginning to end, God knew exactly what he's doing. He knew exactly what he's doing. Through centuries of slavery, through desert wanderings, through the destruction of Jerusalem, In the exile, through centuries of silence, through it all, God was directing history forwards towards this very moment. And Jesus is the climax. He's the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The Apostle Paul would put it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why we 
Through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so, at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he highlights on the canvas of history a grand painting of God's sovereignty throughout human history. That's what I think the message is here for us, is that God is faithful, and he's no less faithful when he paints on the smaller canvases of the lives of his children. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves confused by our circumstances, but God is never confused. Sometimes we feel lost in life, but God knows where he's going. Sometimes we doubt God's plan, but God always knows what he's doing. Sometimes God may seem slow, but he's always moving at just the right speed. He's never late. He's always on time. So take comfort in knowing that God is working all things to the, together for the good of those who love him, as Paul would say in Romans 8.28. He's doing this in his perfect timing, unhindered by any circumstance. It's not as if God looks down on human history and thinks, oh, man, I wish that didn't happen because now it's going to take a little bit longer. No, he's never thwarted. His purposes are never slowed. He's doing all this in his perfect timing, unhindered by anything that happens. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Galatians. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He's working all these promises together for us in his perfect time. He's not slow. He's always on time. Jesus died and rose again to adopt you into his forever family, and God will save completely all of his children. He says it this way in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen? He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The question for you today is, are you one of his children? Are you one of his children for whom these promises are are true? To be one of his children, you must be born again. Those who are born again will turn from their sin and come to Jesus, putting the trust in him alone to redeem them and to adopt them. That is what his children do. They come to him. And only when you're one of God's children are all of his promises yes for you 
in Jesus. There's no greater gift you can receive this Christmas time. John 3.16, we know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Maybe your life is a complete mess right now. And you keep trying to fix it on your own, but somehow you just happen to keep making it worse. Maybe you feel lost in a hostile and divided world. Maybe you've been let down too many times by broken promises. And you're wondering, what on earth is God doing? This is what he's doing. He sent his son Jesus into the world to seek and save the lost. And all who come to him, he redeems and he adopts forever into his forever family. There's no greater gift that anyone could ever know. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, I plead with you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be redeemed, be forgiven be adopted into a family that will last forever. Come to Jesus. I'd be happy to talk with any of you after the service. I'll be over by the front doors. You can come find me there. Or if you're online, reach out to us through that Connect card and and I'll reach out to you and we'll get together and chat. Receive the greatest gift this world has ever known this Christmas. If you've already got it, treasure it. Remind yourself of the good news of Jesus for the world And take great hope in knowing that he's not slow in keeping his promises for all the promises yet to be fulfilled in Jesus when he comes on that great day. He's coming at just the right time. And he will sustain his people. He will carry us to completion. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the message of hope here in a genealogy of all things. Father, just as you kept your promises faithfully and in your perfect timing, unhindered by any of the events of history, so too you keep your promises to us. And we long for the day of Christ and for his return, for uh, the consummation of his forever kingdom. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we are forgiven and redeemed and adopted. There's no greater gift that we could ever know. Father, may we spend the rest of our lives living in thankfulness to you for your undescribable, uncomparable gift. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.